And I like the Aporta plane. That is just so cute. Yeah, I came across a couple of cool little airplanes that uh, inexpensive airplanes that. Uh, well, it reminds me a lot of the airbag, air bike, airbag. Except you get your <laughs> airbag. Yeah, I, air, I kind of wish bike. it had a little bit more structure. An airbag would not be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, no, airbike. Um, it's a cool little. Uh, how so much is this? It's uh, oh, how much is it? Uh, th- uh, three. Th- is it, does it say three? Does it say three thousand dollars? It says three thousand dollars, and it seems to be including the engine. I don't know. It's. Let's open this website. It's called the Affordaplane, or at least that's the headline, Affordaplane Aircraft yeah. Company. It's a very, very small one-seat. Uh, well, it's t- an ultralight. Uh, it's an ultralight. Um, it's a high wing, but it, but it's kind of a traditional aircraft configuration with a high 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 wing and a and a traditional empennage. Um, a lot of the frame is just open tubing, and uh, it's got a single seat and uh, a, a a tractor prop up on the front and uh, and a tail wheel, and uh, and I just think it looks like it'd be cool to fly. Um, Oh, absolutely! Uh, the 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 colder the weather, the cooler it'll be. Yeah, I know. Huh? <laughs> uh, according to the specs here on the uh, on the page, it uh, cruises at about. Let's see now. What's this telling us? Why are there three different speeds? Oh, it's not. Oh, I see what it is. Sixty-five miles, miles an hour. An hour yeah, months. I got it now. It's just the three different measures. Yeah, um, um, Fifty-six um, knots cruise speed. Uh, stall speed of twenty-three knots. Uh, never exceed speed of uh, uh, seventy-four knots. Uh, empty weight of 254 pounds. Ding, ding, ding. Ah, we have a winner. You have an LSI. Yeah. I don't think that includes the engine because down here it says engine 35 to 40 horsepower. Mm-hmm. And they'd be more precise if they were including the engine in that three grand. But I could see three grand being the airframe parts. Well, there's a there's a website in that um, some, I don't know what this link is to. Um, or the link in the show notes anyway is is too, but if you you can't click on it, uh, but if you type in affordaplane.com, you come up with the types website. Yep, and, I'm looking at uh, that now. Thank you. Yeah, um, you've got um, plan. It's it's basically a kit built ultralight. Okay, um, plans for six dollars and ninety five cents. <laughs> and you get if we're looking at the structure, uh, that's very clever. Uh huh. What, 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 using box tube. Uh huh. Using box tube, which gussets and and plates really easily. Uh, actually, easier than round tube, uh, in a lot of ways. And if you look at the engine cowl, the cockpit cowl on the one on the website, it's slightly different than the one on that uh, article. Mm-hmm. Uh, which just shows you the influence of the individual builder. Yeah. Now here's a picture of one on the uh, Affordaplane website where they've got it uh, set up with uh, skis for the winter time. That's kind of cool. And yeah, and you get I, a little weight that. allowance yeah. for skis and floats. Uh huh. Do you really need a weight allowance, or you're making a joke? I don't know. No, I'm not. <laughs> really? You get a little weight allowance for safety equipment above the 254 pound limit. Oh, okay. Yep. And you get a little weight for floats because so a small pair of Lotus floats on that would look cool. It really would, and there's some small fiberglass floats uh-huh. uh, that would really, really look dainty on it. And the the you know if you wanted to put a backup parachute in it, uh, that that wouldn't be heavy enough to cut into your safety equipment weight margin. So, you know, I think you get thirty pounds, and parachute system for that probably doesn't weigh but eleven or twelve. But you know what it reminds me of? At least that first picture. 
reminds me of the bathtub of Ronka, the C3, except you stripped all the fabric off of it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But wait a minute. The bathtub of so, Ronka so it, wasn't it? Isn't a, lo- a lower wing or a mid wing or? No, it's a high wing. It is a high wing. Okay, Jeb. I'm yeah, sorry. With, Go ahead. With Boku dihedral. Yeah, Jeb. And I was, I was just going to. How long does this take to build? Does I don't see any information on that. Um, the the website says the builder's manual has sixty pages of step by step information with pictures to go along with the text. Okay, um, but how many how many steps are we talking about here? What you know? What do we need to do this? I guess I could download the plans for six ninety five and 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 answer my own question, but that's too well, easy. There's a, there's some how to stuff here too. Is uh, there? Yeah. Yeah, under the uh, how to. Oh, you need a tape measure, a deburring, <laughs> yeah, I know, a sander, a bandsaw. Uh, Keep and honestly, on. looks awfully straightforward. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'd, it looks like you could jig the whole rear fuselage just off of a flat table. Now, that's the thing that wasn't apparent to me, but now that I look at this thing, it looks like the the, the fuselage behind the uh, you know the actual cockpit is how to describe it one dimensional. It's not. It, it, I think you're right. It, it's it's flat. It's vertical flat. Yeah, Does that make any sense? Right. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, it's uh, a girder basically. Right. And there's yeah. no there's no airframe around it. There's no sheet metal around it. It's open to the elements. It's open to drag, but it's open for inspection too. Yeah. Uh, well, if you go light. to the gallery page, you, mm-hmm. you can really see some angles there that show that. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a cool airplane, the afford yeah, plane, afford a plane, and that's kind of uh, cool. There's and, a couple of other little one hundred and three only airplanes out there like this too. Yeah, can you think of a, a name, a brand, or a yeah, model? one of them's called the one hundred and three, uh, a la the the rules category, right? Right. Yeah. And what makes it special, other than its cool name? Simplicity, like this one, uh, very simple, straightforward, so, strong structure. Uh, parasol wing or high wing and a uh, little tractor engine. Nothing complicated. Oh, and it's a little bit like uh, James Wiebe and uh, Kathy Wiebe's uh, uh, Bee Light. Right. Yeah. Jeb, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I love this line in here. It says, recommended fabric is an inexpensive 1.7 ounce Dacron painted with house paint. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they did to the. Hey, no expensive shrink systems for this puppy. But you know me, I paint my my house with airplane paint, so you know it all comes out. I know, right? It does, it, you know, there's some symmetry to that. Yeah, really, really. David, tell me, how does it work with these one seater, uh, you know, ultralights and other aircraft in terms of training? How, how do you get trained up enough to actually solo it? Well. For a long time, there was a special waiver available so that manufacturers could build two-place versions of their single-seat ultralights, specifically so their dealers could train their customers. Uh, But a lot of that went away with the advent of the light sport airplane. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking strictly, I I came through this when there were no trainers. that getting a little time in the lightest two-seater that you could find would be a really good start to transitioning to this. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like an Aronka Champ or uh, uh, something else with a tailwheel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. An Aronka Champ or a Taylor Craft. Uh, get somebody to, to 
to uh, get you some time in that until you're competent to solo. Uh, you don't have to solo, but when the instructor says, now, if you had a medical, this is where I'd solo you. Oh, wait, that's light sport eligible. You don't have to have a medical, but you do have to have passed the written. Uh, say, yeah, you're ready to solo. Which, which then, written do you have to pass to, to fly an LSF? No, uh, uh, the light sport. There's a light sport written. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It's tailored to the smaller training syllabus. Uh, and then I would go out to this puppy that I built in, uh, in, in my hangar or my garage, and I would start with the, you know, the traditional test pilot's approach to flying a, a, a freshly built airplane by not flying it until I've taxied yeah. it up and down the runway oh, yeah. dozens and dozens of times. Lift the tail off, put the tail down, get it a foot off the ground, hold it there, kill the power, let it land. Well, it's uh, talking uh, about um, a um, well, engines recommended in the plans are in the 35 to 45 horsepower range. One increasingly popular choice is the one-half Volkswagen engine. Other motors, such as the Kawasaki 440, are also a good choice. I wonder, just slap a motorcycle engine in there. Oh, Absolutely. I got an I got an RD three fifty motor that's broke down. I could build that sucker up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, pay particular attention to the uh, way you design the reduction drive. Oh, I'm not going to. Re- I'm not going to have any reduction drive. I'm just going to. You're going to use the. You're going to use re- the transmission. <laughs> He's going to spin the prop at five thousand yeah. RPM, right? I'm going to ha- No, I'm just going to have a, um, uh, you know, a five speed ultralight. Oh, I see. Yeah, right. Use the transmission in the motorcycle. It's not a constant speed prop. It's a multi-speed prop. Yeah, that's right. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 286 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's not really good noise. good background noise. That's yeah, right. this, is, right. this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We've got Skyriders now. We've got Skyriders We've got Skyriders now. Sky Does that say UCAP? I can't. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> and you're on site, clear land. Turkey National Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Alpha. We're recording this episode on uh, Friday evening, May 11, 2012, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is my, uh, my two good friends. Uh, I was trying to make a joke that relate small planes with motorcycles, because what people didn't hear was we spent 20 minutes talking about motorcycles before we began recording the aviation podcast, so I don't know. Maybe that's in our future, right? I don't know. My two good friends, Dave Higdon's here, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how you doing? Oh, it's just been a lovely week. Productive, uh, nice weather, uh, cool temps, uh, and really, really ready for the weekend. Mm -hmm. But we know why you're ready. You want to crow for about 45 seconds about why you're so excited about this weekend? Nah, I think I'll wait until I've actually got some. Okay. All right, then. We'll we'll hold off. We'll talk about it again later. Yeah. I am going to be dropping by Dead Cow tomorrow. Uh Uh What's up over there? Uh, well, I'm trying to uh, uh, get with my buddy Ben Sorensen to see when we can start working on my biennial and my tailwheel checkout. Outstanding. Excellent. Excellent. Because uh, I, I understand his travel schedule is ameliorated a little bit, and uh, I don't have any big trips on the dance card for a while. And uh, I'd like to get this puppy in because there are a couple of airplanes available that I was told last week 
that the owners would love for me to fly them as long as I left them full of gas. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wow, let's see. And, fly, and well, there's fly the rub, for gas right? money. Uh, yeah, I think I could probably buy into that. Oh, and I need to get renter's insurance. Mm-hmm. But other than that. What airplane uh, have you been doing the tailwheel training in? Uh, a uh, Taylorcraft. Mm-hmm. And there's also an Aronka. I want to do. I want to. I want to go back and forth in the two. There, you mean Aronka Champ? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is, uh, is that Leprechaun's Champ? No, but it's one of his tenants. Okay. Uh, I wonder same if that's, way with the T craft. I wonder if that's the Champ that's in my screensaver. I I have a bunch of airplanes in the screensaver on my laptop, and one of them's a Champ. It's a picture that I took that day that we visited Dead Cow. Oh, I is it that. red and orange or? Yeah, it's sort of the traditional it? Champ colors and paint yeah. job. That's probably it because it's the only one there right now. Okay. I, I had it in a, my head. Another that, one there, but not near the same color. I had it in my head that that airplane actually belonged to the Leprechaun, but uh, maybe not. Um, no, it didn't, uh, but it's might as well because the owner, uh, the owner is the person who puts the least amount of airtime on that airplane in any given year. Yeah. Uh, there's three or four other guys that put way more airtime on it, and he's grateful yeah. for it because otherwise the sucker would just be wasting away. Right, right. Good. Also here in the virtual hangar is uh, Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you tonight? I'm fine. I'm once more basking in the glow of putting to bed another issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. People might think it's a funny coincidence. People might think it's a funny coincidence that you're always basking in the glow when we do these podcasts. And just a little bit of thought would make them realize that we actually schedule it that way. It's like <laughs> it's like we aren't allowed to schedule this until you're ready to bask in the glow. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, I have to, I have to bask more often. Kind of works uh, out that way. Yes. Well, yes. there are other kinds of glows that he wouldn't mind having more of too. Yep. But family podcast. Family podcast. Family podcast. Family. Uh, so what's going? for you jeb anything fun uh i'm looking forward to the weekend it's uh, uh good weather down here it hasn't rained much i'm still very we're still very dry down here but that's okay because the weather's just delightful uh so we're having a good time very cool very cool and i'm jack hodgson and i'm coming hey. to you from high atop lookout point in nottingham new hampshire where it's been raining for almost like two weeks but that's you're good. getting our rain what's that you're getting my rain maybe um, it was our rain because it hadn't rained hardly at all here in like almost all winter. The uh, all the lakes were like your pond. All of our lakes are very mm-hmm. very low, and they're just gradually creeping up to summer level here, and um, you know almost a month behind schedule. So we're all happy that it's been raining, but it's looking like it's going to be a nice weekend. We're all looking forward to that too. So yeah, it'll yeah. be good. And there's so much stuff going on this weekend. I figure on that basis alone, it'll be really crappy weather. Well, it's it's Mother's Day weekend too. Yeah, so you got that obligations. As well, right? yes. Yeah, you got things you want to be doing. So uh, the other affordable airplane that I came across, uh, in addition to that affordable plane, is uh, is a cool little trainer that uh, that our friends from Pipistrel are are touting right now. Have you guys seen this airplane? Mm, I have it. I have it. Yeah, yeah. It's called the Pipistrel Alpha, the Alpha Trainer. I don't know if that's just a code name or if that's going to be its market name, but uh, I think that's its. I think that's its market name. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a cool little uh, tricycle gear, uh, high wing, T tail. uh, Appears to be composite material, composite construction. Yeah, and it's cantilevered too. And yeah, yeah, uh, struts. No struts. and uh, uh, looks small, but um, 
you know, but it's it's designed, it's targeted to be a trainer, but I think it'd be a fun little just kind of, you know, go around flying for the day airplane. I, I do anyways. Other people would think it was not enough. But, and uh, a 108 knot cruise. Yeah. So. Uh, Ooh, wow. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I'm sca- hey, I, I know a couple of 172s and a Cherokee 140 that would kill to cruise at 108 knots. Yeah. Yeah, really. Now, in addition to it being a cool-looking airplane from a uh, from a manufacturer that's kind of you know building its credibility, to my my view, um, I keep hearing about them doing all kinds of interesting things, um, and uh, um, we have a listener who is kind of involved with them. I don't think he's yes. a staffer, but uh, um, but he uh, he helps them out. So it's a Pipistrel. So, how much is this? That's 80? one of the things that caught my attention. This is a, the, yeah. the list price here is $85,000. Really? All right. Which is which is really low um for uh, this, this sort of uh, LSA. Uh, most Has of the radio, transponder, GPS and ballistic parachute included in the standard package. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty- yeah, it, wow, it didn't have an EFIS panel. Oh man, where's my Kleenex box? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So this is a cool airplane. I, I I mean at least from the on paper, this is a cool airplane. And uh um it, it's it's you know, to me it feels very much like the Remoses and the CTLSs and and that kind of uh you know aircraft in terms of uh you know materials and, and size and mission and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's an airplane you can grow with. But comes with a comes with a four oh six uh ELT on eighty horsepower Rotax. Yeah. So uh but but for well under a hundred thousand dollars, right? And right. and other airplanes similar to this in the category are are starting to get well over a hundred thousand dollars. They're in the hundred and twenty, yeah. hundred and fifty. Oh, no. they're, they're not they're not starting to get well over. Yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> they started well over. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that's it's got but, a it's got a wooden prop, a T tail. It looks a lot like a a CTLS. A little bit, a little bit. It's a little more yeah. sleek than a, than the CTLS. Yeah, but. it's it's a little. It's I would agree with that. It's 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 like a, you know just a maybe a nine tenth scale model of a CTL a CT. Yeah, it's and a it's cool got this. Airplane. To me, this the Pipistrel distinctive uh, uh, cowling configuration. It's kind it of comes. Pointed. It comes with um, an ICOM A two ten radio with intercom antenna and two headsets. Yeah, get that. Yeah, I mean, more power to them if they can do it. You gotta wonder whether they really can pull off this eighty-five k price point. Um, well, here's this, here's something that is always kind of a rub for me. The time was that airplane companies invested in their market by marketing loss leader trainers. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, they didn't lose a lot of money. Usually, what they did was come close to breaking even, and the dealer would buy it, amortize it put it out on the ramp, three years later they'd sell it because so many guys like to buy the airplane they trained in. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't see that kind of investment at at the same level. And this is a way to do it. $85,000, right? $85,000? Yep. That's what they say on this article. Uh, How about $87,500 for a RANS S7LS? That's the light sport courier. Uh, it's uh, got a Garmin radio. Oh wait, where is it? Now you're looking at a completely different airplane now, right? I'm looking at a completely different airplane, but it's also light sport. Yep. And uh, yeah, more the standard features. There we go, eighty-seven five, and that includes 
three blade warp drive prop, uh, 100 horsepower Rotax, standard instrument package, uh, the uh, light. I thought there was some avionics in it. Say again the name, the model? Rans S7LS. Okay. And I was thinking that it had a basic VFR gauge and, avion- and avionics package. But I might be wrong about that. You- yeah. So, we should do an episode where we just talk about inexpensive airplanes, but... Uh, I kind of thought we were. <laughs> well, that's, we could, but this is, these are the only two we've got on the list, so I don't know. Uh but there, there, I bring this up because there are other examples out there under 90000 that admittedly maybe not as sexy as the Pipistrelle, the, you know, uh, composite airframe, cantilever and all that. When the S7's tube and fabric and, <laughs> excuse me, they make an S6. It's also very reasonable at rents. But there are a number of airplanes out there that come in well under a hundred grand. And don't deserve to be lumped in with all those out there that guys cry and moan about being way too expensive and no way to jumpstart to market. Uh, but you're not going to get a uh, 118-knot all-composite class cockpit LSA for seventy-five or 80000 bucks. I'm sorry, guys. You're not going to get a Mercedes with that kind of stuff on it for 87000 <laughs> And yeah, it won't fly. Yeah. Well... Not very high. Yeah, not for long. It certainly won't do a thousand miles in the air. Yeah. Won't do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Moving on here. Let's see. So, uh, um, I don't know how to intro this story. So, Jeb, this is this is this. Uh, I mean, on on one level, this well, is just yet don't. another TFR for some sort of political meeting, right? There's a, some sort of what NATO gathering or something like that, or. The NATO NATO summit in Chicago that's coming up like next week. Um, Yeah. Yeah, The the difference seems to be that somewhere along the line, the word has gotten out that they will shoot to kill if you fly into their TFR. Somebody, no, it's, it's even more simple than that. Yeah. Somebody in the news media in Chicago actually sat down and read a notum. Oh. And they, they, understood through their comprehension of English that the powers that be, the forces of darkness, the, the, uh, uh, those responsible for all the voodoo security, have had for going on 11 years now, <clears throat> basically <laughs> shoot to kill orders in, this, in the guise of temporary flight restrictions over various parts of the country at various times. Um, never happened before, maybe during World War II. I don't remember the exact details of some of the restrictions imposed back then. But it's, it's damn well been happening for, as I say, almost the last 11 years. And finally, this has become news to CBS Chicago, whatever channel that is in Chicago and whatever their call letters are. Right. They've got a big, they've got a big story. It's channel, was it channel two in yeah. Chicago? They have a big story on their webpage about how uh, uh, all this airspace is going to be locked down and anybody violating it could, could be shot down. Well, guys, hello, come in. We've been living with that nonsense for almost 11 years now. 
Welcome to the party. I see. Okay. They haven't noticed the, the bullseye on all those pilots' backs? I mean, well, gee, really, Christmas, where have they been? On one yeah. level, it's good that somebody outside of the aviation community has noticed this, but has anything come of this? No. Has, has any, I mean, ha, well, I haven't read this article, all right? Maybe I should, all right? Is the reaction here, oh my God, this is a terrible overreaction? Or is no. the reaction cool, good for them, we want to kill those terrorists? I, I, I think you told me enter outside the aviation community. I think it's more a matter of the, the way the article is written, I think, is the way Jack is asking the question. And I think the answer is more along the lines of see what all of, of your, your nannies are doing to protect you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there have been a couple of instances where civilian aircraft came close to being a tone in a headset. And weren't because they finally acknowledged that somebody was trying to get their attention. But we don't hear much about the, the protocol that leads up to that point because it, yeah. was, it was resolved amicably. Everybody walked away. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure the guy who you know, got the enforcement action against him wouldn't have considered it amicable. Well, now that's true, but he did get to walk away. He and did get to walk it, away. And, he and, did and, get a chance to do it again. If not, you know, that, that Cessna 152 from Smokedown. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, this TFR is like, what, next week, I guess. Uh, today's the 11th. It's the, the event is the 19th, I think it said. Uh, 19th starts on the 19th. Yeah, so next week. So next, next week, week so be careful. If this and, is posted in time, remember, watch your ass around Chicago. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Well, but... Okay, come in. Um, come on. Um, we've been seeing this kind of nonsense everywhere. There's some meeting of this is a NATO summit. We've seen it with G7, G8. We've seen it with, of course, Obama, and and I guess hey, maybe to a lesser extent. We've Biden. seen it with the Super Bowl. We're gonna see, yeah, we're gonna see it with Romney or or as I like to call him, Armani. Um, but uh, <clears throat> um, that's gonna get us letters. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah, really. Good. We welcome. We, we look forward to your letters and uh, <laughs> address them to Jack Hodgson. No, 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 no. Well, but I, I, Burnside, I think the, the three the three best letters are Whiskey Tangle, Foxtrot. But that's just my view. Well, I, and enough of that. On that on that point, enough of that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on. But yeah, Jack, you're right. It, it's like wow, amazing. Other people noticed. But I'm not sure if it may, if it's if it's done any good, you know. I of mean, course I, not. I, I get the feeling from what Jeb said. Of course not. From what Jeb said, the reaction wasn't, you know, oh my God, we need to fix this. It was, uh, hey, yeah, good, a, cool. This is a system that is, within the last week removed an 18 month old from a flight yeah. because her name was on the no fly list. As a terrorist yeah, suspect. Let's not go there. We an 18-month-old. An 18-month-old. I know, I know. And we could do those stories all night long. And ha- yeah, it's, well, I'm just saying stupidity is, a cons- is, is consistent. Yeah. Consistently it's not, stupid. It's not, it's not just stupidity. It's, it's just the whole mindset. Oh, my God, they're going to kill us on our beds, you know. <sighs> I know. And then there's that poor cemetery in, 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 in Europe where the 152 crashed into the cemetery and they're still digging up the bodies. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So. Speaking of 152s here, this story got me excited for about a fraction of a second, okay? Because as a headline, the story from the Flying, dot, flying Magazine, flyingmag.com, uh, the headline is Cessna hiring 150 workers. And I'm thinking, woohoo, they're going to start building 150s again. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I read it more carefully, and that's not what it says. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm so. just thinking to the poor guys that have to sell the sky catcher going, what? I didn't hear anything about that. Yeah. No, what it really says, and it does literally say Cessna hiring 150 workers, but what it really means is Cessna is hiring 150 workers for their uh, manufacturing uh, plants, um, which is a good thing. Uh, and I'm it, just really glad it wasn't 152 because that would have really sent people off. That would have been awesome. Um, is this uh, Are these workers in Wichita, David? Yeah, yeah, actually. Uh, they're uh, starting to see a little more interest in uh, some of the turbine work. Uh-huh. And uh so that's that's where they're going to go. So do and, the hawker uh, people have the right skills to just go across the street? A lot of them, yeah. 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 Oh well. I mean, if you dig really deep into Wichita culture, uh you'll find a lot of families where, you know, dad may have retired from one, but he started in another and moved to another when he got laid off at another and wound up back where he started and then finished his career there. Because uh, yeah. it, that's getting harder and harder to have happen. But uh, good news for Wichita right now is though that Hawker Beach is uh, what do they call this? A pre pre uh, a pre pre approved bankruptcy. It's canned. Right. Uh, they got debtor in possession financing. They're paying their bills. They're paying their people. Uh, at least for now, and uh, building airplanes. Yeah. Hawker now we're talking about Hawker Beachcraft. Hawker, yeah. yeah. Cessna is uh Cessna is doing a little better, bringing back some workers. Uh I'm not seeing much evidence of that touching the independence plant where they build the piston airplanes and the uh uh Citation Mustang. Uh but it would be nice. Yeah. So that's a it's a good sign. Yet another, you know, it's like you know, it's every week seems to be like, you know, two steps forward one step back kind of thing you know well the, the latest uh, the first quarter report for 2012 came out of gamma this past week and again it was discouraging gamma uh, is the general aviation manufacturers association thank you and interestingly enough reading in some of the business columns that cover the midwest and wichita specifically uh, we're hearing a lot of really upbeat, positive stuff from folks that are starting new businesses, expanding old businesses, building new outlets for what they've already got. Uh, they say they're hearing more encouraging things from their suppliers and their customers. Uh, it's almost like there's a hidden recovery underway uh, that's got enough uh, horsepower to actually have people spending money again. So... Uh, Hopefully, some of that will trickle into the uh, airplane business sometime mm-hmm. soon. Yeah, but at, but at the same time, I saw something today where it said Gamma had reported lower results for the first quarter of this year. Oh, yeah. That, that against last year. They're down from this first quarter of last year. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Again. So, you know, it's all, you know, some segments might be doing okay, at least anecdotally. Some still aren't. Yeah. Yeah, Cirrus is down. Cessna is down. Uh, I think Piper's actually doing a little better, which is kind of weird. Which is kind of weird on one level. On another level, they didn't have very far. You know, they could really only go. That that's true. Yeah, I mean, they they had a a lower bar to clear, but yeah, yeah. Nonetheless, it's a positive turn. It is. It is a good sign. Most of their sales, though, right now are overseas. That's where whatever what our. Our report 
the gamma report would be much worse were it not for how much better overseas sales are right now than oh, they yeah, are in the United worse. States. Yeah. Much worse. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. We've got two uh, listener questions today, uh, this week. Uh, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. Uh, the first is one. Is this on the list? Is this on the list? Yes. Okay, there it is. Okay. Uh, the first one is from listener Sean B., uh, who is known oh, yeah. on Twitter as Sean B. Sean B., uh, who writes, uh, saw a beach 1900 earlier this morning. Any idea why they put the nose gear so far far forward of the main gear? Now, I know you answered this uh, in Twitter, Jeb. Um, yeah. But, uh, and what was your answer? Basically, my answer was they didn't so much put the nose wheel forward as they moved the wings back. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you said this is a stretched King Air, basically? Am I oversimplifying that? Basically, it's a King Air fuselage. Uh, you look at the nose of a 1900, and you look at the nose of a King Air, and you go, aha. Uh-huh. Uh, if you look at the wing, uh, and you look at a King Air wing, at least you know a 90 I, I spent some time on some time ago, you look at a King Air wing, and outboard the nacelle, it's pretty much a Bonanza wing. Mm-hmm. Well, now, see, I wonder if what he really means by this question is the fact that... So I gave you a, pic, a link to a bunch of pictures on Google Images of uh, okay, Beach I, 1900s. Sure. And um, and one thing that seems to be kind of notable here is that the nose wheel is really far out on the tip of the nose. Um, it's so far forward that the wheel almost the, the wheel itself almost extends forward of the tip of the nose yeah it's under the radome actually and, and i'm wondering it, maybe that's what he's asking about is you know you you would think that that the gear would be installed a little bit more you know a little further back in the nose it, you know it, it works it works like this yeah they they started with the basic front end structure of a king air 90 yeah they made it longer that's where the nose gear is on the 90, the 100, you, the 200, the 300, the 350. Yeah. Google, Google King Air 200. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, David. Okay. Continue. Well, and then, and then it, go back it, and forth between the two. Jeb gave you the keys to the kingdom. They made the fuselage longer. They, the gear still goes in the, in the uh, nacelles under the wing, the main gear. They just kept it where it was and beefed up the structure to carry the higher loads and then, of course, the fuselage has got to be stronger to take care of, to, to eliminate flex mm-hmm. but again, as you get the go, nose and the mains farther apart. But that's it. Yeah. Go, Jeb, go ahead. Go look, go look at, a, at pictures of King Air 200. That's what I'm doing go, right go, now. I see go, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. I, see, I see what you're and saying. And then go back and forth between the two, and you'll see that there's really no structural difference between the, the nose of a 1900, even the D, except for the taller cabin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the rest of the, and the, and the King Air fleet, yeah. or at least the King Air 200. Um, what they did, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing they put a plug in in front of the wing, you know, a plug in the fuselage in front of the wing, and a bigger one after the wing. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Bingo. And they did a little couple of tweaks with the tail, depending on the model. The early 1900s uh, didn't have these kind of uh, downward vertical uh, um, um, rudders or fins on them. Uh, the the D model does uh, on the top, on the on the bottom of the T tail. Okay, uh, that's really the, 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 the outwardly anyway. That's you know one of the major changes. But uh, you look at some older nineteen uh, hundreds, um, and uh, they're basically just you know stretch king ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And having flown this airplane, 
1900 D. Let me tell you, that is direct nose wheel steering. Uh-huh. That's not boosted. Okay. That's that's your feet and legs moving that nose gear. All right. Yeah. So there's no tiller kind of thing. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Yeah. And that's about a twelve thousand pound airplane at gross. Yeah. Well, the the D model I think is like fourteen and change. I think it? you're right. I think you're right. Uh, you strap let's see what, your you let's strap see what your has to say. You, you strap yourself into the pilot seat or the co-pilot seat as hard as you can. Then you ratchet it down another half an inch. Because when you go to push on the nose gear to steer that puppy, you are going to come up out of the seat otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> because it's yeah. carrying a lot of weight on that nose gear. Yeah. yeah. But think um, about what you'd have to get into if you were to try to move that aft. And now it's going to be under the cockpit. Right. Unless they rearrange it so that it folds forward into the same gear well. But then you've got to move all this structure, rearrange the mechanics of how it operates. Uh, you're going to wind up encroaching some on the cockpit anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, just making it longer and beefing it up was so much simpler and cost-effective. Yeah. Jeb, finish this off. What were you going to say? Um, gross weight, max gross takeoff weight on a 1900D Delta is 17,120, according to Wikipedia. Um, the uh, King Air 200 is 12,5. Um, three fifty is I think fourteen. Dave, come, chime in anywhere. Three hundred, yeah. three fifty, something like that. Yeah. Um, when I there, flew the, go ahead. they they told me we were carrying twelve five. Right. And I said, "Boy, I'm really glad that we're not heavier." And nobody said anything more about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, another model, you know, King Air Growth is go look at the Beach ninety nine. Oh, yeah. What's notable about that? Well, it's basically a a little, I don't know if it's really stretched or not. It's basically a King Air 100, but seats nine for commuter use. Okay. It was basically their first attempt to convert one of their business airplanes Uh Uh into a regional airliner uh, when uh, regionals were really uh, plentiful, small mom and pop shops. Yeah. Next, we have uh, from listener David's Flying uh, in the forums, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit more uh, uh, in-depth question, but basically what he was asking was, what are the best sunglasses for use while flying, especially regarding lens color and polarization? You guys have any opinions on this? Yeah, polarization sucks. Really? Why? can't read your Garmin 430 or 530. You can't read because of the screens. On these, uh, I can't read my 530 with polarized lenses. Uh, I don't know. The 396 is hard to read too. Mm-hmm. So you don't like uh, the polarized sunglasses. I don't like polarized. Um, as far as color, um, I really think it gets into a personal preference. Sometimes a little bit of a blue tint is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you want you know as dark as you can get. Um. What I find a lot of the time is I don't even use sunglasses. Okay. And if I'm, especially if I'm dealing with weather in the summertime, if I'm dealing with, with cumulus, um, and it's, it's layered, uh, it's, it's got kind of horizontal layers, if you will, and I'm trying to transit those layers, sometimes it can be really hard to see what's going on behind the, the layer you're about to go through or go around. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because it all kind of blends together. And sometimes sunglasses make that uh, worse. Okay. So I will I will pull my sunglasses off if I'm if I'm wearing them to really get a good picture of of what's going on behind that next round of clouds. Right. I know for a while there you were using a pair of those flip up sunglasses. Uh, yeah, I've got them in the airplane. Um, and uh, what, what are they called? I forget. Um, the brand is Shaden. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, got a pair of those. Um, had them for a couple, three years. Uh, Dave Allen gave them to me, mm-hmm. actually. Yep. Uh, and they're, they're, they're very utilitarian for the airplane. They're very good. Uh, the color is, is okay for me. As I recall, they're a, kind of a dark brown or a medium brown. Um, no issues with them at all. Um, it, it, they're in the airplane. If I need a pair of sunglasses, I've got other sunglasses in the airplane. I, sometimes I'll, you know, just walk out and that's what I'm wearing. Uh, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times I'll fly without sunglasses too. Yeah. You, you personally have always seemed to me to be much more comfortable in the sun than some of us. Um, you're, you're one of the few people I know who is very comfortable not wearing hats, for example. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I wonder if maybe, you know, you've built up more of a tolerance to the brightness and the, and the sun than, than others of us have. I don't know. I've, I have no, I have no knowledge. Yeah, okay. No, no, David, do you, compare it to. David, do you have any opinions on sunglasses? Well, yeah. Uh, first off, polarizing is great for cutting down glare and, mm-hmm. and, uh, can give you some uh, some increased contrast uh, to help you pick out things, but polarization really is only at its most effective when the sun's at low angles, mm-hmm. uh, early part of the day, late part of the day. In the middle of the day, it doesn't really do that much for you or against you, except on those little odd spots where you might have a tiny bit of glare coming off something because the angle is just right for that low angle thing that the polarization will make it glare less, but it doesn't necessarily eliminate it completely. Uh, I use polarizing filters on my camera lenses very heavily because on hazy days, they make the sky bluer. On bright days, they make the contrast better. Uh, They make the colors deeper. I can alternately black out a windshield on another airplane or set it up so that I can see through the windshield of what's inside. And that depends on the shot right. I'm looking for. Uh, but they're not universally good in all circumstances. And they they really do, no matter what time of day, screw with your ability to see most liquid crystal displays. Mm-hmm. Uh, LED displays, on the other hand, color LED displays don't suffer quite as much because mm. you're not depending on light shining through crystals. You're actually looking at points of light that are a light source into themselves. So if you're talking about uh, an EFAS cockpit system or display that uses LED technology instead of LCD that's backlit, you're, you're going to be less troubled by wearing polarized shades looking at that than you would be looking at the uh, uh, liquid crystal display with backlighting. Mm-hmm. 
It's just a difference in the characteristics. One's being illuminated. The other one is actually an illumination source on its own. Right. A couple of comments that uh, listeners uh, gave in the forums uh, in response to this question I thought were interesting. One was kind of funny almost. It, it, talking about this polarization problem, one listener suggested, I think jokingly, that the way to deal with this is that you actually tilt your head 45 degrees either to the left or the right and that will cause the polarization to line up so that you can, in fact, read your, your uh, you know, whatever, your GPS or, or whatever. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I, I definitely have seen that way back in the old days when polarized sunglasses first appeared. And, and we had, uh, there were, some cars had the rear window polarized. And so you'd be driving your car and you'd look in the rearview mirror and suddenly you couldn't see out the back window. But if you twisted your head, you know, sort of 45 degrees to one way or the other, suddenly the polarization would, I don't know how polarization exactly works, but the, the things lined up or didn't line up and suddenly you could see out the window. So I don't know. It seems plausible to me that uh, in a pinch you might be able to see your your panels better, your your displays better, um, even with your polarized sunglasses by tilting your head one way or the other. I don't know. It does seem to be a polarizing subject. Yes. Um, uh, another response just, in the forum. Let's just not go bipolar on them. Yeah, I know. Oh, um, absolutely. Another uh, response. Bipolar sell low. Another answer in the forums that was a little, a little bit more serious um, and very interesting is that uh, someone, one listener said, be very, very careful about wearing polarized sunglasses or glare-reducing sunglasses when you're flying float planes, when you're landing on water. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because in that kind of a situation, you don't necessarily want to get rid of the glare. Um, it's, uh, uh, one of the listeners commented that it's actually a very bizarre experience to be landing on smooth water wearing glare reducing sunglasses and in, in under the right conditions, you can actually, you can't see the water. You see the bottom mm -hmm. of, of the lake or the, you know, the body of water well, and, uh, other circumstances, the glare coming off the water is going to make it impossible for you to judge height above the water that's not, without yeah, that's, a shadow off to one side yeah, or right, the other. Exactly. So, you know, this is, it, again, it's not 100% one way or the other. Yeah. Right. So, uh, for the record, and uh, I, I don't have a real, any experience with this polarized thing with the, with the instruments, but uh, my personal preference is, and I think, Jeb, you said it earlier, you said co lens color is a personal preference thing, and right. I think that's largely yeah. true. Yeah. For me, it's uh, amber lenses. I, I like amber sunglass lenses. Um, I like amber, but only, you know, in, in, it's really for shade or, or uh, late in the day, uh, kind of a shooting uh, glass kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 See, I yeah. I like it sharpens the up sharpens up certain details, but uh, um, if you're if you're using amber lenses in bright sunlight, you can burn your eyeballs out. Really? Yeah, I found that. Really? Yeah. I've there's never, not enough. There's not enough there's protection. Not enough usually, uh, unless they, unless they, you got UV in it that uh, cuts down the really maybe bad that's stuff. maybe mine do that. I don't know because I've I've been wearing amber sunglasses for years now, and I I like them a lot. So, and occasionally, they're really good on hazy and foggy. Flat right, days right. for increasing contrast and mm -hmm. detail. Yeah. The other color that I think is interesting um, is uh, occasionally uh, uh, I've had no other option available, and I wear some of these yellow sunglasses, all right? these I think what, sometimes they're called blue blocker sunglasses or something like yeah, that. Sure. Um, and uh, two things jump out at me when I put a pair of these on. First of all, they make the world look ugly. Uh, okay i mean this this yellow you know thing that gets laid over everything is just unpleasant untaste distasteful to me all right but on the other hand i have found that once i got used to this ugliness 
I found them being very effective at cutting down brightness and yeah, and, uh, and the girls all get prettier at closing time. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. You 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 noticed that too. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Big thanks to uh, listeners uh, Sean B. and uh, David's Flying for sending in their questions. Yeah, uh, good stuff, guys. If uh, you guys have any questions, uh, please send your simple short-form questions to us for the listener questions segment. Uh, send them to either podcast at, or send us to one of our email addresses. You know what they are. Uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com is the, is the uh, most central. Um, or post them in the forums or put them on Twitter and make sure you put my name or Jeb's name uh, in the Twitter message. And uh, send us your short-form questions for listener questions we'll still answer the longer form questions too but we're having fun with these little ones so that's good uh, absolutely see. yeah shout outs let's see now uh i got a couple there's a bunch here let's see if we can kind of work our way through there's these here david b52 buff big ugly you fill in fat the blanks fa- fat fellow fat fellow fat yes fellow. All right, 50 years ago, this coming June 22nd, I understand, uh, the last B-52 rolled off the assembly line at Boeing, Wichita here. And on June 22, 23, and 24, the Kansas Aviation Museum here in Wichita is going to have have a a big weekend due to celebrate that milepost. you can check out some of the uh, some of the stuff at the website, but the one thing I thought might appeal to some folks if they're in the neighborhood and want to get their name on the list is you'd be able to sign up, pay a few bucks, and fly a B fifty two simulator. That would be cool, wouldn't it? That would, that be, would cool. be very cool. We're yeah. going around. Everybody, grab a throttle. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. That's it. Is that it, Dave? Anything more to that? Uh, it's just that there'll be some other stuff going on at the museum, and the museum's really kind of a cool place, neglected by the locals uh, with money, but supported wonderfully by a group of volunteers and, 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 a, and a solid professional staff. And if you're in the neighborhood or feel like coming in, you can land at Jabara, and I'm sure you'd be able to find a lift and, and uh, have some fun. Uh, my shout out, my first shout out is uh, to uh, listener Jack from Australia. Uh, I got an email from him and uh, I reposted part of it in the forums um, where he uh, 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 just kind of told us about his situation and, and talked about listening. He apparently has been listening to our podcast since he was 13 years old. Uh, and, uh, and, and he's 19 now, obviously. Uh, and, uh, during that time he went through flight training and has become a pilot and is, uh, not Woo-hoo. only, uh, continuing to pursue a pilot career, I believe, but he has begun a, a general aviation, uh, blog. And I think he says he's going to do a podcast and he's think he's definitely started the blog and he's thinking about doing a podcast. Uh, if you're at all interested in, uh, reading, uh, uh, Jack from Australia's blog from, uh, about general aviation in Australia, uh, you can go to, let's see, you know, we'll certainly put this in the show notes, but uh, general-aviation-australia.blogspot.com.au because it's in Australia. So uh, check out the show notes. We'll have that there. But uh, uh, thank you to uh, Jack from Australia for checking and, in. And uh, and we wish him the best. We, we absolutely wish him the best. And uh, and thanks for hanging in there for yeah, no, no, you know. No, no. Like and basically, congrats, man. I mean, uh, I can't begin to tell you, Jack from Australia, what it does to us to uh, to hear that uh, uh, that somebody else has listened to us and and continued to 
train and get a pilot's license despite that. I mean, think of this. He's spent fully one one third of his life squandered listening to our podcast. I don't know. It's just it, it it's beyond well, it's beyond uh, I, uh, comprehension. Yeah. I guess you know some some portion of mine has been spent squandered. You know, doing the podcast. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, who else? What do you got? Anything, Jeb? Dave? Yeah, uh, I always get the the kind of the funeral announcements here. Yeah. Um. Uh. First one. I don't. Maybe some of our listeners will remember this. Maybe some of them won't. Uh, I remember it because I was listening to the news one one day and. They were talking about this airplane when it was still in the air. It had not yet crashed. Right. Uh, and this is United Flight 232, um, which um, crashed. Let me, let me look at it here. Uh, July of 1989 in Sioux City, Iowa. Um, United Airlines DC-10 from Denver to Chicago. Uh, the center engine disintegrated at altitude. Uh, it, when it did so, it took out all the hydraulic systems. The only controls that the flight crew had over the airplane over a, over a DC-10 were the throttles, and two remaining throttles, I should say, the left one and the right one. And um, there, were, um, <clears throat> there was a guy, uh, deadheading, uh, his name was Dennis Fitch, and he came forward to the, to the cockpit and handled the throttles because uh, the rest of the crew was too busy. He was an instructor he was, pilot. He was an instructor pilot in the DCT, and he was deadheading, um, uh, I guess, to Chicago, and uh, was available. He came up to the cockpit, uh, helped um, fly the airplane, helped land the airplane, and this was an airplane that was basically, you know, um, the, the news was this airplane's going to crash. It's just a matter of when, where, and how. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was, again, before it even crashed. Uh, in the event, uh, 111 people died, mm-hmm. um, but, but 185 lived. Yeah. And if you've seen some of the coverage, contemporaneous coverage uh, of this, uh, this accident, it's, it's amazing that anyone got out of this. Yep. Uh, this- but anyway, Dennis Fitch was the guy who, who came up from the cabin up to the cockpit and, and handled the throttles. Uh, he died this last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was, I think, 69 years old. Um, and way too young. Way too way, young. Yeah, way too young. Um, but um, clearly, you know, he when when the when the chips were down, he uh, he had what it took in the cockpit. Yep. And yep. he had he had that analytical uh, the, the, a way to look at the aircraft mechanics analytically and 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 recognize mm-hmm. that thrust increases, thrust decreases. Do exactly what they teach us in instrument training. Uh, they don't really change your speed; they change whether you're climbing or descending or holding level. And an asymmetrical thrust can cause you to turn one way or the turn. other. So now you got all three axes at work, just not very responsively. And they managed to get that bloody thing. That they managed to get that airplane to Sioux City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if. if, if Anybody who's not familiar with this accident, um, the Wikipedia entry for United Flight United Airlines Flight Two Three Two is is pretty good. Um, kind of kind of tells what happened to the airplane, how they got it on the ground. Um, uh, it's quite an amazing feat. Since then, 
there's the uh, you know you start how yeah, you start clicking links you know and you do, one thing leads to another and mm-hmm. da, 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 da. um you guys will probably remember this it's been three or four years maybe earlier in the decade where a dhl a300 uh climbing out of baghdad was hit by a surface-to-air missile yeah i remember the incident i don't remember the result and took out most of the left wing took out all the control systems, um, the crew, there were three of them in this A300, the crew managed to keep the airplane flying, made an approach to the, the main runway at Baghdad, went around, came really? back, landed, and ran off the runway on the, on the landing roll because they had no brakes, uh, and walked away from it. Hmm. The airplane was totaled. Uh, it, it also had no controls. That's the only time that anybody um, has successfully landed an airplane uh, without any fatalities, without after that, all control systems were lost. Yeah, but the United one is definitely a a real yeah. legendary yeah. milestone incident. Well, a friend of mine was still working at the NTSB when this accident happened, and he wasn't with the group uh, that drew the go team duty after 232 went down but he was there for a lot of the investigation and was privy through the the through serving for one of the board members to a lot of what was going on and uh, you know he said just one of the miracles of humanity that these guys managed to 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 figure out that they could reasonably control this airplane in a way that let them get to some place where there would be help present when they right. touch down. Yeah. The coincidences on that one are remarkable. Um, it, not only the Wikipedia sound article sounds interesting, um, we should dig out a copy of Captain Haynes's uh, talk that he's uh-huh. he, he gave any number of times. Uh, uh, I've, I've heard him a couple of times. I, I, I have, him. too. Yeah, I, I, had a, I, I had an opportunity I'll, to hear I'll it. buy him drink and a dinner anytime. You betcha. Yeah, I had an opportunity to hear him do it live at Oshkosh one year, and then I've heard it on uh, recordings of it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating story. And, uh, and not only did it take a lot of skill, and there certainly was a lot of skill at play there, it took a lot of really good luck. There were a lot of circumstances that day that were just exactly right to save these people's lives. Um, so uh, my, two, my two favorites in all the stuff I've ever heard over the years was Captain Haynes from 232 and the, 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 the flight crew from the uh, uh, Hawaiian Airlines 737. Yeah, another crazy one. Anyways, um, our condolences to uh, the family of Dennis Fitch, um, who was one of the extended crew that day uh, and uh, saved a lot of lives. Saved a lot of lives and left a legacy that's going to just be carried on all through those people's uh, descendants. Yep. Other shout-outs? Yeah, one more. Um, We talked about this uh, a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. This was the uh, Dam Busters episode right. of uh, was it some some Discovery Channel? Yeah, it was some sort of documentary uh, on Discovery Channel. It was a Channel, documentary right. on on the Dam Busters, and we talked about oh, Arnie Schreider died. Yep. Ah, oh. go ahead, Jeb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy who the guy who flew the DC four uh, for that uh, that documentary, uh, Arnie Schrader, He was um, uh, the the the. Uh, how did you put it? The uh, the sage, older, wizened pilot on uh, <laughs> on um, um, one of the uh, uh, ice, ice pilots, ice in pilots. W- yeah, ice, yeah, ice pilots NWT or something like that. 
um, Buffalo Airways out of um, you know East Jabip, Alaska. Um, he died this last week. Also, mm-hmm. uh, um, he had cancer. Uh, but he was um, how old was he? He was also sixty nine. That's a that's a bad omen. That's a bad omen. No, no. Yeah, I need coincidence. To make sure my insurance is paid up through six. Just a coincidence. Yeah, very, very okay. sad to see this this, yeah, this gentleman yeah. go as well. But, yeah. but both of these are sad. Uh, Arnie was a lot of fun to watch on TV. He was he was from from all everything I saw. Just a consummate uh, pilot. Uh, very skilled. Very experienced. Uh, it's a shame to lose him. Yeah, David. Any other shout-outs? Uh, I think that's got me covered, bud. Okay. Well, that's Dave Higdon. He's an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what are you working on? Anything uh, we can take a look at? Uh, yeah. I'm working on a piece for World Aircraft Sales right now about uh, what are the, considered the top 10 apps for iPod users that will be out in early uh, June. iPod or iPad? iPad, sorry, iPad. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. Sounds very cool. And we're still be- still reminds me of a. Never mind. And uh, anything else, or where can people find you on the internet in general? Oh, avbuyer.com, which is the home site for World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Uh, a lot of good editorial in there from other people. Uh, let's see, aea.net, where I write for Avionics News. AviationSafetyMagazine.com, where I write for some guy named Burn something or other. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, a couple of others that uh, just uh, they they don't put names on stories, so we don't break. That's right. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what are you working on? Um, this weekend I'm not working on a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask the question a little differently. What were you working on two months ago that's coming into print now? Uh, uh, Let's see. Uh, well, I mentioned earlier the uh, the latest issue. This is a June issue of Aviation Safety Magazine is in the can. Uh, some guy named Higdon. Um, you know, it's a funny thing. Some, this guy named Higdon wrote an article for for Aviation Safety Magazine on cockpit distractions, and never once, never once mentioned opening the storm window at thirteen thousand <laughs> feet over New Mexico. <laughs> Oh, well. I, I wasn't distracted by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, same issue. <laughs> Never once. I, I, I'm just, ah, I just, I just boy, mesmerized. I coming. Yeah, you, you, the, the, it was just so skillfully done. It was just amazing. Yeah. Was, David, don't was, you know that's why he gave you that assignment? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, Jack, shh. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what else, Jeb? Uh, uh, in the same issue, uh, Amy Laboda has an article on magnetos. Uh, in, in, in general, you know, ignition system troubleshooting, shooting, I should say, while you're in flight, not while you're on the ground, uh, looking at some components and what they do, what they don't do, and and uh, what the options are when they don't do them. Um, and uh, I've got a couple of things in there. There's some things on flying over water in singles that uh, some people might be interested in. So, you know, as I say, all that's in the can. Uh, coming up soon, you'll see some material from me in um, uh, Avionics News Magazine mm-hmm. for the Aircraft Electronics Association. And uh, just keep rolling right along on, on these things, and uh, it all works out. And in general, where can people find you on the Internet? Yeah, on the Internet. Oh, man. Well, let's see. I'm, I'm somewhere on Facebook. 
Uh, I'm somewhere on Twitter. Uh, I don't do the Twitter thing that much anymore. Uh, let's see. JEBurnside.com is a personal website. Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Uh, you can go there and check out the magazine. You could subscribe. You can look at uh, limited uh, portions of, of back articles. You can do all kinds of stuff there. Uh, or, uh, you know, AEA.net, uh, sometimes on AvWeb.com. And I'm Jack. Go ahead. Sorry. I was uh, just going to say, I found something that I'd forgotten I'd done. Oh, really? Or, and it's just, just come out? Wireless connections in the cockpit in the uh, May Avionics oh, yeah. News. Yeah. Uh, about different ways that you can use wireless devices in your airplane, uh, uh, the iPad among them. And, uh, oh, yeah. Check it out online. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's also, i got a piece in that same issue on... Uh, General aviation level flight recording capabilities. Uh, you're droning along and, and something happens, quote unquote. Chances are there's some recording device that's not unlike the old fashioned flight data recorders on your airplane already. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. It's sort of a good news, bad news thing. But I did not know that. Yeah. A lot of times your GPS is recording stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah, we should talk about that on a future episode, maybe. Uh, it's, we it's should. an interesting thing. If we get around to talking about aviation, that is. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Please check out my ebooks uh, for sale these days on uh, Amazon. You can learn more about those at amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Or in general, learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and for the help that he gives us in the uh, UCAP forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Roy Searle, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you wanted to say? Live long, love life, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Adios. Happy trails to you. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general and is probably wrong. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But do you do that?